Bonjour and hello from Paris, France, specifically from the Louvre Museum, the most visited museum in the world and home to such sites as the Mona Lisa. But had it not been for a piece of bread, this museum wouldn't have existed at all. Find out why on this episode of Delicious History. Delicious History is a podcast designed to show us not just how history has affected food, but how food has affected history. For more information, you can visit us at deliciousHistoryPodcast.com or any of our socials at Delicious History Podcast on both Instagram and Facebook. This week's episode is brought to you by Awards Co. If you're in need of any kind of award, be they trophies, medals, plaques, you name it, Check them out, awardsco.com, and be sure to use my code DM10 for 10% off your first order. As you can hear from that stellar quality introduction, yes, we are in Paris, France right now. Uh, specifically, I was at the Louvre when I recorded that. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, not as good quality as I expected, but I guess we can expect that for the rest of the trip whenever I'm in a position to uh, make recordings live. Uh, so yes, we were there. And I, the funny thing is, one of the things that always gets me about the Louvre is how people are so obsessed with the Mona Lisa. And so the original name of the painting is La Gioconda. And everywhere you look, you see a sign, Gioconda, 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 and then the arrow is pointing to it. And you're always going by these incredible historical artifacts paintings and things that you've only seen in books or, or in other media, but you can see it face to face, but everybody wants to go see the Mona Lisa. And it is one of the least impressive things you could ever see in person. <laughs> and it always just kind of like, I, I get a kick out of the fact that people go out of their minds to get a picture with the Mona Lisa, to see the Mona Lisa in person. And literally in the same room, if you turn around, there's like this giant painting that's absolutely stunning and nobody's looking at it. And when I say giant, I'm talking about like, what, the, the, the Louvre is like, I don't know, like four stories high and it's at least three quarters the size of the wall. And yet everyone's looking at this itty bitty little Mona Lisa. But that's a whole different story for a different day. This trip, I will say I've, I've been pleasantly surprised uh, because years ago I used to travel as a single man. And of course, things are going to be different when you travel single versus if you're traveling with a wife or even if you just have a girlfriend or something with you. At the time, I was just traveling with a buddy of mine. So, you know, we really didn't care all that much. And uh, I will say that my experience within Paris is a lot different this time. I found that people back then were quite rude and aggressively went out of their way to not help me whenever possible. Uh, also, the city was dirty and stinky compared to a lot of the other places we went to. But, I mean, that's not to say that I 
don't like France and I had a bad experience in France. It was just Paris. In fact, I absolutely loved uh, Lyon in the south. The people were quite lovely. The city was beautiful. Uh, The food was quite delicious. It was just Paris I had the problem with. But, you know, as they say, New Yorkers aren't Americans. Parisians aren't French. When you have these big cities like that, they, they tend to have their own culture. And I guess you call them your own unique species that don't really represent the country that they're in as much. Of course, my sister reminded me that people don't treat you as nicely when you're traveling with no money in your pocket. And, you know, this time around, my wife and I were able to go to some nicer places than where I used to go to. And I was surprised by how much nicer the people were this time. The only problem is that we visited during those big protests that started during the retirement age in France. And by the time we got there, there was already garbage lined up as tall as me and going for blocks at a time. In fact, we almost didn't come because I was watching these protests and I said, there's no way that we're going because, because when we were around a lot of the protests, like for example, in Ecuador, you couldn't go on the roads. If you went on the roads, people would be throwing like firebombs at you. And I was reminded that there's nothing to worry about because Parisians protest. That's just what they do. And, you know, it's true that these protests were a bit rougher than normal, but it was really nothing out of the norm for the general culture. And sure enough, you know, for the time we've been here, we haven't felt at risk of anything. I mean, the worst thing is, obviously, we have to go through piles of garbage sometimes. And also at night, uh, when the protests really get going, they'll set the garbage on fire. So it'll smell even worse. But other than that, I mean, there's uh, no danger. We did see some tourists that would go out at night with the protesters, and sometimes they'd get involved with the protests by the Bastille. But, you know, they were kind of setting themselves up, and they got hit by tear gas and whatnot. But one thing my wife really wanted to do in Paris, and it may sound strange, is she wanted to eat bread. <laughs> so let me explain. She, she is a huge fan of baguettes and croissants. And of course, if you're going to be in Paris, you have to eat baguettes and croissants, because that is without a doubt, one of the best food offerings they have here. And when we got here, we were really jet-lagged and had some other things going on. So we literally just went to our hotel room, went outside to find the closest bakery, and bought like like two or three baguettes and a bunch of croissants. And so for the first couple of days that we were here in Paris, that's basically all we ate. Of course, I made sure to get some of those soft little cheeses and the wax, like the happy cow or something they call them, to get some extra protein too, but... That's about it. And don't worry, we did eventually end up getting some real food here. And there wasn't really any complaints from either one of us when it came to the bread, because it was extremely good. The funny thing, though, is that our hotel room is quite small, and uh, we had so much bread in here at one time that it literally smelled like a bakery. Well, I guess I know what I'll be giving the maid as a tip when we leave. Ironically, these protests and French bread are a great setup for the story we have this week. Marie Antoinette is certainly one of the most famous French queens. In fact, try to name another one. You probably can't. I mean, some of you probably can't. I can't. So I'm just going to go ahead and assume that no one else can because I I try not to uh, display weakness in public. The funny thing is, she really wasn't French, but rather Austrian, being born in 1755 as Maria Antonia. As one would imagine, she was born through a noble bloodline. And although she obviously had a life of luxury and comfort, 
she oftentimes ended up getting the short end of the stick with a lot of things in life. To begin with, she was born on All Saints Day, and since this was a day of mourning within the Catholic tradition, celebrating her birthday really couldn't be done publicly. So her parents decided to celebrate a day before. Yeah, I mean, obviously that might seem like a pretty minor inconvenience, but it's these little inconveniences that add up and begin to define a lot of who she became later on. Perhaps one of the best things that Marie Antoinette ended up doing was to help end hostilities between Austria and France. She did this by getting married to King Louis XV of France and becoming the Queen Consort, which is where she got the name Marie Antoinette. Her mother seemed to think that this was the best solution as a way to fight off ambitions that the British and the Prussians had at the time. The only thing that she really had to do was give up her rights as a Habsburg, because she was part of that great royal line. Other than that, she ended up becoming the queen of one of the most powerful nations on the earth at the time. All things considered, not a bad trade-off. From that time, however, Marie Antoinette met with a lot of resistance from the people that she ruled over. She was quite beautiful, and because of that and her personality, there were plenty of people who did like her, but many others had issue with the fact that she was a foreigner. And we know how proud the French are when it comes to their heritage. Some felt that she was diluting French pride just by being married to the king. Another issue was how, at first, her and Louis had a lot of problems trying to conceive children, which we know is an extremely important part of being a queen back in those days. Sadly, she either couldn't conceive in the first place, or when she did, she kept having miscarriage after miscarriage, which was not only bad for French royalty as a whole, but of course for her personally, losing all those children. What also didn't help was the vast amounts of political and personal intrigue that were happening within Versailles. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it turns out that a French person had a mistress. Pause for shock. That's right, Louis XV had an official mistress, which apparently was a common thing at the time, and her name was Madame Duberry. Besides just being a romantic rival, she also had quite a bit of influence over Louis. In fact, she pushed him to exile the person who orchestrated Marie Antoinette's marriage in the first place, in addition to other people that were close to Marie Antoinette. Apparently, there was an issue that she was never officially acknowledged. Okay, so <laughs> let's just take a break here for a second. Uh, things apparently worked quite a bit different back in the day. Madame Duberry was the king's mistress. She was upset that the king's wife refused to officially acknowledge her in public and therefore forced Louis to do things that would hurt her as a result. I don't know, man. The French, am I right? Anyway, Marie Antoinette officially did tell her, quote, there are a lot of people at Versailles today, in passing, and I guess that was enough for everyone to say that she was acknowledged, so... Progress? As with most political rulers at difficult times in history, both Louis and Marie Antoinette had highs and lows when it came to popularity. The one high point in her popularity with the people was when she finally started having children. But then, even during that time, her reputation immediately started to plunge. The French went to war with the Habsburgs, and rumor was that she was taking the side of her nation's enemies. Also, she started to change some customs in the court, which some found distasteful. These included things like having women wear less makeup and simpler clothes, but it apparently made people angry? 
I guess. Well, anyway, as far as what continues to happen, there are a few things that we need to understand. Scandal after scandal started to pile up involving the queen, and a lot of it wasn't even her fault. For example, she did spend a lot of money, which was true. Here at the Louvre, my wife and I were able to see some of Marie Antoinette's writing rooms and other personal areas, and yes, I mean, they were extremely lavish and expensive. With that said, France is, and at the time was, a very large and important nation with budget to match. But putting things in perspective, Marie Antoinette spent a tremendous amount of money on luxuries and fashion, and I never realized just how much she was spending. Some estimates say that with the amount of money that she explicitly spent and possibly spent in secret, that this one person used up to 7% of the entire state budget just to fund her lifestyle. And this was the reason that at the time she was referred to as Madame Deficit. But some things were completely out of her control. One of the most notable scandals was that of the diamond necklace affair. Even though it really dragged Marie Antoinette's name through the mud, It was really about people trying to gain influence with her, and she just got associated with it. As she became more mature in her role as queen of the nation, she decided to take more of an active role in politics. She thought that perhaps if she could get some social reform going, that she could become a bit more popular, but mm, that didn't seem to pan out. During this time, there was something that, as an American, I guess I could take responsibility for. The American Revolution. So the American Revolution was happening on the other side of the world, and this seemed to be a wonderful opportunity for the French to stick it to their longtime rivals, the British. Instead of risking fighting the British head-on, the conflicts that they were having about the colonies in the New World gave the opportunity for the French to give their enemies a black eye without having to officially declare war. For those who are familiar with the American Revolution, we know that the French really stepped it up and gave the Americans what they needed to finally beat off the British. They did this by providing weapons and other supplies, just like the U.S. and Soviets did with their proxy wars throughout the Cold War. The problem was that these weapons and other goods, they weren't free. So after helping out the Americans, the French realized that they really stacked up a giant pile of bills, which were next to the other giant pile of bills that had been piling up for decades at this point. That mixed with a queen who seemed to spend out of control Well, that's a recipe for disaster. This wasn't only bad news for the government, but for the people as a whole. A broke government means a broke people, and a broke people mean hungry people. And hungry people lead to angry people. We've heard of the breads and circuses of ancient Rome, which, by the way, was a very interesting episode of the original Star Trek, with Captain Kirk and the gang finding a planet of civilizations based off of ancient Rome. What are these guys going to get into next? The general idea behind bread and circuses is when you have a population that has nothing to do, or at least has no income to feed themselves, so you need to keep them fed and entertained to prevent civil unrest. Some politicians in France at the time did end up doing this, with the Duc d'Orleans being one of the major players to do that. This is important to understand because the Duc d'Orleans was one of Marie Antoinette's arch-villains. By him feeding the crowds like he did, people like the Queen became even less popular because not only were they the source of their hunger in the minds of the people, but they were doing absolutely nothing to curtail it. 
What happens now is the French Revolution, which I'm not going to get into. In fact, I've been purposely vague up to this point because this time period in French history was extremely complicated and had a lot of players. And really, there's no way I can even begin to do justice to all this in this episode. If you want a really, really good explanation of the French Revolution and what led up to it, I highly recommend the Revolutions podcast by Mike Duncan, and he does actually an entire season on just this one topic. All right, so that does it for the background of our story. Now, as the story goes, Marie Antoinette is told that the people don't have bread to eat. Her response was, let them eat cake. The implication here is that the queen was so out of touch with the need of the common man that she didn't understand what the problem was. In her mind, if you run out of bread, then you simply go and eat something else. But she didn't understand that for a lot of these people, all they had was bread and nothing else. So if there was no bread to eat, that meant there was no food to eat. When news got out about the people hearing just how hard-hearted or ignorant the ruling class was, they decided to take off their heads. And of course, both Marie Antoinette and her husband Louis XV lost their heads to the guillotine. But this probably didn't happen. Well, I mean, yes, Marie Antoinette and Louis XV did lose their heads, but not the let them eat cake part. First of all, the quote is not saying let them eat cake. In the original French, the quote was let them eat brioche. And while not technically cake, it still is a pretty fancy bread. And and I know that because Wendy's always charges me extra if I want to use it on my hamburgers. But even then, this quote was most likely not spoken by Marie Antoinette herself. In fact, the first time this quote was written down was by Jean-Jacques Rousseau in 1767 in Book 6 of Confessions. In this book, he talks about a conversation he had with a great princess. Although it's true that Marie Antoinette was alive at the time and she was a princess, she was only nine years old and living in Austria, so it probably wasn't her. Well, perhaps people read the book and figured that it must have been Marie Antoinette, right? And they most likely spread rumors about it because they were spreading all kinds of rumors about her anyway at the time. And perhaps when people were hearing about this, whether or not it was true, it became inspiration for the people to get their pitchforks out, right? Again, probably not. The first time there was any written record of this quote being associated with Marie Antoinette was 50 years after the French Revolution, in 1843, by Alphonse Carr, in his journal Le Guepe? Le, Le Guepes? Le Guepes? I, I don't know how to pronounce that. Oh, and, and by the way, something I should address is that, yes, I know that my Spanish in the last couple episodes was iffy at best, but just so you're aware, I do speak multiple languages. Uh, mostly English, Spanish, and Italian. But one of the problems I have is I have a difficulty speaking two languages at the same time. So like when I speak Spanish, it's pretty good. But when I try to say Spanish words while speaking English, it doesn't always come out so good. And of course, when it comes to French, I think my pronunciation is just a lost cause. Another thing to mention is the fact that there were no famines around the time of the French Revolution. But there were some bread shortages but they were about a decade before the action started. So even if Marie Antoinette did say, let them eat cake during that time, it probably wouldn't have been applicable to the situation they were facing. 
I mean, don't get me wrong, there were definitely economic hardships, with the common person spending close to 50% of their entire income on bread at the time, but it seemed like there was at least enough to go around. Regardless of what was said, we do know that people didn't really like Marie Antoinette all that much, and she suffered as a result. But what do we learn from this story? Well, even though the French Revolution was a long time ago, and it seems like the world is a much different place than it used to be, the fact is that false information hurts real people. Even though it's very doubtful that Marie Antoinette was ever associated with that quote during her time, there was still plenty other of gossip and libelous information written about her and the royal family. We can see similarities to this in our own day. We live in the era of fake news where people of all nations and all political affiliations are affected by fake information being distributed, mostly online. As a result of this, a lot of flames are being fanned and people become more and more extreme politically. If you've followed my podcast for any length of time, you'll know that I generally hate politics. That being said, of course, I have to follow politics to some extent if I'm to do a show about history, since a lot of history revolves around politics. But as far as what I see in my own time, it makes me sick. It's safe to say that while politics has been a driving force for a lot of human history, I personally don't feel that there's been any more damaging force to humanity as a whole. I mean, even we think about things like the Crusades, we could say, oh, that was a religious war. But it wasn't. It was definitely political, with religion used as a tool to get people motivated. And we can see lots of other things in life that either politics has directly been the result of human suffering, or was behind the other causes of that human suffering. Thanks to politics, one day everything's normal, and the next day your leader loses their head because of things that have been written or spread about them to vilify them. I mean, think about your own political views. Think about the people that you voted for or that have ruled you in your country. Perhaps some of them you agree with and some of them you don't. Now, think about the absolute worst political leader you've ever had over you. Even then, would you want to see them dragged into a public plaza and have their head fall into a basket? Probably not. And yet, false or exaggerated information has led to countless leaders both losing power and their lives, whether or not they deserved it. So I guess one thing I'd want to leave you on is, before you share any kind of information, either online or in person, be sure to check your sources. You never know who might be affected in the long run. Well, that'll do it for this week and for Paris, France. Next week, we'll find ourselves along the beautiful Lake Geneva in Montreux, Switzerland. Until then, remember that we all write our own history. So make yours delicious.
Thank you.